Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hey, it's Anthony here and welcome to this episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. Regardless of whether you're a regular listener or perhaps this is your first time, it's great to have you join us here today. Now, you may have heard me use the expression, your business is a reflection of you. And if you don't grow, your business never will. It's one of those expressions that you just know to be true. It's another way of saying that what got you to the point in life and in your business where you currently are will not get you to the next stage. If it did, you would probably already be there. Your growth in business is dependent on new ways of thinking and looking at the world and new ways of working to match it. Now, contrary to popular belief, as an owner and manager, your team aren't your greatest asset. You are your greatest asset. And in order to grow your business and build your team, you need to start by growing yourself. In January, we'll launch our online management course. And as the title suggests, it's for owners and managers. And if you want to be informed about dates and exactly what the course covers, then register your interest to be updated at growmysalonbusiness.com because you're not going to want to miss out on the first launch of the online management program. So on with today's show. I was recently listening to a discussion about climate change, and one of the presenters said something along the lines of, it's not possible to achieve the targets that we have set in the timeframe available. And the other presenter said, look, in 10 to 20 years time, we will have technology and solutions that haven't even been imagined today. And that is why these targets are realistic. Now, if you're wondering what that's got to do with today's podcast, the answer is absolutely nothing, except that in 10 to 20 years' time, there will be jobs and career paths in our industry that haven't even been imagined today. If you don't believe me, just think of jobs such as social media managers or influencers or app designers or SEO specialists. They're all jobs that have been invented in the last 20 years, and they're now in very high demand. And that is the connection with my guests today. They are Annie and Erin from the Hair Nerds, and they describe their business as an alternative media agency that specializes in the hair and beauty industry. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking with them today, and I know that you're going to enjoy the conversation too. In today's podcast, we'll discuss creating career paths that didn't exist before, how to work with social media agencies, the relevance of Facebook, the importance of never-ending education, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Erin and Annie from The Hair Nerds. Hi, Anthony. Thank you so much for having us. We've only been mildly stalking you for about 100 episodes now. Okay, well, I'm flattered. And uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's great to have uh, uh, you guys on the show because I love what you're doing. And, um, you know, I'm very interested and I know my audience will be very interested in, in what we're going to talk about today. Uh, but let's just start off by doing what I do to everybody. And that is pretty much uh, getting you to introduce yourselves. So, you know, let's just start with a quick overview of your background. Who is Aaron and Annie? Give us your sort of two minute backstory and then we can dig into it afterwards. For sure. Um, well, I'm Aaron. Uh, I have a degree in marketing and journalism and wanted to be a hairdresser, parents who said absolutely not. And I weaseled my way into this industry, Um, met Annie about 10, 11 years ago. We started the Hair Nerds and we have been on a journey to um, just take all of the education and attend every event and really kind of live this insane hair nerd life uh, for the last 10 years. Okay, good. All right. Well, let's dig into that. Where did the name come from? Hair nerds. <laughs> um, you know, we that was it was just kind of always this term uh, that we tossed around because we weren't really just about um, like the products. I think that people get really hung up on like what product or what school they went to, 
Um, but we really had this insane interest for everything in the industry. Like we wanted, you know, like we wanted to know uh, the chemistry behind things and and go to each event and and competitions. And it didn't really matter um, who the affiliation was. It was really about the hairdressers and just really kind of nerding out, um, you know, no matter what. And so that's kind of where it's kind of where the hair nerds just this all encompassing, inclusive type vibe came from. OK. All right. So um, you're not a hairdresser, Erin, as you said, um, you have a marketing and journalism degree. So h- how did the two of you, how did you and Annie meet up? Yeah. Um, well, so I got, I got my degrees, uh, and then immediately started working, um, in a salon and became like a salon manager and then transferred over to schools. Um, and when I was working at a school in California, Annie was one of my students and she was just this student who, who wanted so much more, like who was, who was willing to eat, sleep and breathe this industry. And so we made this immediate connection, um, and, and created a business together around that. Okay. Um, that's interesting because, you know, I, I know that you're not a hairdresser, but you met at hair school. So right. what were you, what were you doing at hair school? Yeah. Um, so it was called like student services coordinator and essentially it was putting together an advanced education program for okay. students, bringing in celebrity hairdressers, um, getting them to take advanced education, helping them along through competitions. Uh, here in America, we have a thing like called Beacon with the Professional Beauty Association um, and NAHA and, and those types of competitions. Um, and then I would help them figure out what they wanted to do when they left school. You know, did they, were they going to rent a space? Were they going to work behind the chair? Did they want to do something different? And we would help navigate that um, as well as taking them on trips and, and to events. So I kind of created this position where I got to be a hair nerd um, for my students. And, and then when, you know, when it was time to leave, we just extended that out to the industry. Okay. It, it's interesting because we hadn't met until very recently and we just met mm-hmm. over, over Zoom and, and had a chat. And uh, before I ever do a podcast, I, I always spend time sort of researching the, the person or people that I'm going to talk to. And I do that because I'm always trying to find the, the right angle to, to get the best out of people. Like, like what is it that if someone is going to give up an hour of their time to listen to it, what are they going to get from it? And so, you know, I'm on your website and we had a brief phone call the other week and we sort of touched base. And as I'm sort of digging into it all, I'm, I'm struggling to sort of pigeonhole you. Do you know what I mean? I'm trying to pigeonhole you to understand what am I going to talk about <laughs> with, the hair, with the hair nerds? And then what, what sort of struck me is that this is what we're going to talk about is that the world today is very much about careers and career paths that didn't even exist before. And, and that's what I love about this industry and the world that we live in, that, you know, with the changing technology and changing consumer attitudes, it's creating entirely new jobs. So, you know, although you're not a hairdresser, you found yourself in the hairdressing industry um, with, with some amazing skills as a, as a journalist uh, marketing, which the industry obviously needs. And, and then, you know, you, you combine with Annie and the two of you have this great sort of, you know, yin and yang where you do, from what I've seen on your website, you do web development, you do creative direction, you do consulting, you do brand development, you, uh, you've got a great blog on your website. I loved looking at a lot of the articles on your website, but I'm still looking at it thinking, so, so what do they actually do? And so <laughs> it is, is social media management, is that what your core business is? There, we have a couple of arms of our business. We, we started primarily as a press site. Um, and so it was alternative media when blogs were kind of first coming out um, in the industry. And, and when all of the magazines were still paper and were mailed to your salon, right? Um, and we were, we were internet only um, and then kind of took off with, with social media. Um, but press was pretty much 100% what we did. Um, and 
and I consulted in the background, you know, because everybody's got a mortgage to pay, right? Yeah. Um, but, and Annie was working, you know, in salons and, and Hannah's really started as a huge passion project. Um, now we both work full time for the company exclusively. Um, and, and yes, we have added a tremendous amount of consulting on the side, um, because now we get to, we get to work with the people, you know, that we love so much, um, and, and hairdressers that we've admired and companies that we, um, are kind of obsessed with now for years. So we do do a huge portion of that, but we do still absolutely um, live on the press side. COVID kind of made that a little tricky for the last mm. two years. Um, yeah. But that, you know, that has begun up again. Yeah. Okay. So how do you define what a alternative media agency is? So, hi, this is Annie. Um, <laughs> so with alternative media, I think really, like Aaron was saying, was it really started off in this place of when blogs were becoming a really popular thing on the internet to do. Um, mm-hmm. The Hair Nerds was created pre-Instagram, pre-Snapchat, pre-TikTok, pre-all of these really popular social media platforms. And print was still... The, the main way that people were getting their information. Um, collections were still being done in print. Um, you, you had to be like an editorial stylist or really, really involved in the industry to be able to get your name out there. And what Aaron and I really feel very accomplished by was that we really carved out our own path within the industry to create a space for everyone to be able to have a platform to stand on, to be able mm-hmm. to have a way to get their name out into the industry, to have access to press coverage that they didn't otherwise have access to. And that's really where the beginning of the Hair Nerds was born, was in this way to become very, very inclusive. And for the small independent company or the independent artist or the people that were having a hard time finding education or knowing about and learning about hair shows and competitions, um, we were able to be that voice for them and really created our own path to where we're at now, um, which has our, our business has grown obviously from where it was. Um, but we were trying to figure out how to navigate the world of brand new social media um, before social media really was anything that it is represented today. Um, so that it's kind of cool that we were able to really kind of be the forefront of alternative media, meaning that it's non-traditional. It wasn't for the mainstream. It was for everybody else at that particular mm. point in time. Right. So when, when did you start it, the Hair Nerds? When did it start, Annie? Uh, we actually just celebrated our 10th birthday recently. Um, okay. So it was, gosh, 2011 um, mm. was when Aaron created the website and, um, uh, she was the one that actually birthed the idea. I was actually going to school at the time to get into the hair side of the industry because I started off working in the skin side of professional beauty. And um, Erin, which again, we met while I was in school, um, she had already created it. And when I graduated, I basically was like, please let me be a part of this. This is absolutely what I want to do with my life. Um, Mm -hmm. And just bring so much awareness to the industry of all of the amazing things that are out there. So much education, so much hair shows and competitions and information. Um, We just really wanted to make something that was a little bit more readily available to people. Okay. So, I mean, that's interesting, 10 years. So you've very much grown up with social media growing up. Absolutely. It's not like you've jumped on the bandwagon afterwards. I mean, you know, they've only been around sort of, you know, 10 years, comparable amount of time to you. Um, So is it like, um, if you go back not that long, it was all print. And so the people that controlled print, they really controlled people they, they controlled who got exposure who didn't get exposure and social media has been a great leveler for that in terms of you know anyone now can take a photograph of their haircut and they can get it up online or their color they can get it up there on their instagram and they can be seen you know 
And so it wasn't like someone else was controlling you. You were totally, you know, able to develop and get exposure to your own brand as opposed to being beholden to a, you know, a magazine beauty editor or whatever, uh, deciding whether or not that they should anoint you with a page or a half page uh, <laughs> picture in, in their magazine. Cause that's a little bit what it was like, isn't it? You know? And so, so when you talk about the alternative media, it was sort of about giving everyone a voice, giving people a voice that maybe wouldn't normally get the voice. Am I, am I right saying that? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it was about showcasing um, artists to, you know, because for a long time it was just like, pick me, pick me with product companies. Um, And if you weren't on somebody's product stage at a show, like nobody knew who you were. Um, And so it was about giving, giving a voice to these incredible artists who maybe were still coming up or kind of that like intermediate um, helping hand between, you know, between being on a main stage and just being a really incredible artist. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's evolved. So it wasn't like there was a moment in time where you thought there's a need for this. It's very much one of those things that over the last 10 years has, has morphed and evolved into different areas, looking at, you know, what your different levels of expertise are and things. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So if we just go back to social media management, um, what, what does that involve? How do, how do you, work with uh salons yeah i mean it it depends on the level at which we're working with them um we have a couple of different levels so like it can we can do your entire um social strategy post for you like we will be you uh on the sly um and it goes all the way down to you know doing doing a couple of consulting calls a month figuring out what your strategy is going to be, giving it to you and saying, okay, this is exactly what you're going to be posting. You know, here's, here's a prompt for this. Here's a trending sound for reels. Um, You know, we want you to do an IGTV live about this particular thing um, and educate on this. And here's your hashtag strategy. And these are the companies you're going to be tagging um, and just kind of put it all together like that. Um, So it just, it depends on how people have chosen to work with us Mm. um, and, and how we, how we interact that way, but it always involves a ton of strategy. Yeah. So it's very much customized to the needs of the client, whether it's a small salon with two or three people or a chain of salons or a manufacturer, it's, it's a bespoke solution, you know, tailored to suit their needs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It is. Yeah, when we work with a lot of like people who um, are independent educators or who are wanting to build their independent brand on social, maybe they work with a manufacturer currently and they're wanting to, you know, take a take a step away from that um, or, you know, a, a smaller, um, a smaller independent uh, product company, that type of thing. Our heart is definitely with people who are independent Um you know, we're happy, we're happy to work with legacy brands all the time. Um, but, but I think that we understand kind of that 24 seven struggle as an, yeah. as an independent brand. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're there to help you as much as, as much as you want. Okay. So, um, I have dabbled with having, um, different agencies that I've worked with over the, <laughs> over the years, um, helping us with social media. Uh, because of the time issue, it, it, it sucks up a lot of time. If you are going to be good at it, you've got to be devoted to it. And, and you've got a small business, I've got a small business, and there are so many directions that, you know, that I'm pulled in all the time. So I've often looked at, okay, I need to, uh, you know, outsource that to somebody else. And you said uh, a minute ago, Aaron, you said that, you know, we can, we can be you in the background. I forget the words you used, but you, you sort of said secretly, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. no one yeah. would know that it wasn't me, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Now the challenge that I've always had, and, and we've experimented with it three times in the last 10 years. Um, and every time it's been a disaster. <laughs> so, that, so, so that says about that says a lot about working with me, doesn't it? No, no, seriously, um, it, it, it hasn't been a disaster, but it hasn't been a fit. And I've heard other people say this as well that when you outsource your social media, 
it's it's you know you lose the essence like no one else can be mm -hmm. you um no, no one else is going to like like if i talk about imagery for example um and had different people that would you know do our social media for a bit and they'd post images and i'd look at it and go oh my god i'd never post that in a million years <laughs> or, or, or oh my god i would never say that whatever they've right. said you know yeah. so so those relationships yeah. you know they never lasted for us um, how do you get around that? How do you, you know, make sure that you you can be a fit with um, what the client's, you know, needs and, and personality and brand and culture is all about so that it's a happy marriage? For sure. I'll, I'll answer and then Annie, I'm going to jump to you because Annie and I do vastly different things. Um, so one of a couple of things, Anthony. Um, I think that there's a misconception that even when someone is doing your social for you as you, that you are no longer involved. Um, mm -hmm. And and that's a huge, I would say that that is the number one thing that holds people back because they, they just want to hand it over completely. But the mm -hmm. thing is, social is about you. So even even if I'm pretending to be you on the internet, um, I have to have a really good grasp of of your ethos, what is going on? How would you answer something? Um, and I'm still getting content and um, verbiage from you. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm maybe I'm tightening it up and and making it uh, more convertible, right? But but at the end of the day, you you are still you. No one can be you, um, and you there are still going to be elements that you're involved in, whether that's just a couple of consulting calls a month or you know, signing off on things, um, that type of thing. I, I think that it's really, really important to make sure that people understand, um, at least when you work with us, like you are, you are still working with us. Um, you know, I think the other thing is just that it's really important to have a really good handle on professional beauty. Um, you know, I think that Sometimes people will outsource to agencies who maybe aren't um, specific to the beauty industry. Um, and, and I think that can be troublesome. Um, but I think just finding when you are looking for someone to do social for you, finding someone that you connect with and that shares the same um, kind of ideals and values with you is really helpful because when yeah. you start in that shared space, um, I, I think you're a hundred percent um, ahead of the game. That's the, I mean, that's the reason that we choose primarily to work with independent artists. They are the people yeah. that we connect with, right? Um, and small business owners, those are the people that we connect with because we share, we share those same pain points. We share those same struggles. We share the same victories. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah. And then Annie, I mean, Annie is a hundred percent our, our creative and design genius. Um, without her, it would just be a lot of words. We could only manage Twitter. Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear your perspective, Annie. Yeah, um, I think it, like Aaron was saying, like I think a lot of people have a different idea of what social media management means, especially in professional beauty. Um, and when it comes down to it, social media management, whether you're working with a company like ours that is fully professional beauty and we come from a background of professional beauty or if you're working with an agency that works with all different kinds of industries, it, it really is a very, very choreographed dance that has to happen. And um, like Aaron was saying before, a lot of people want to just hand it off and not have to think about it anymore. But when it comes to independent businesses, especially, um, and especially hairdressers, because most of them are independent businesses, they... I think that it social feels very overwhelming and they do want someone else to just completely do it, but you still have to be highly involved in it because it is mm. your business at the end of the day. Um, and that comes a lot with imagery, um, especially with how rapidly social media is changing right now from pictures, like how it used to be. And now all of the platforms besides Twitter are really changing over to more of a video focus. Um, it really means the, the person whose brand is in ownership of um, needs to be the one that is on camera or needs to be the one in the videos or in the imagery being taken, which means a lot more involvement in your social media. And I think a lot of people don't think about that because it it is changing so rapidly that they don't quite understand 
the changes that are happening in it. And so a lot of times they'll, uh, people will revert back to 2018, 2019, when it was still very highly visual, you could take a bunch of pictures, send those off to your management company, and, and they would be able to post those for you and you don't have to be as involved. But with the way social is now and today, um, especially with the way people like audiences are consuming content, um, they're it's a lot more content needing to be created um, for people to consume. And, and that comes with this, where the strategy comes in, where that, that choreographed dance has to come in, where if you're not understanding what the social platforms want from you, you're not going to be able to create the right content where your social management team at that point comes in with the strategy. But the, the brand is still going to need to create the content at the end of the day. And so it's, I think a little bit in a, in a transitional place right now in the whole world with the way people are consuming and creating content, brands have to be so much more involved than they used to. Um, and I think that that's a big thing that we're trying to help people understand that, that you do have to be the face of your brand. You do have to be involved. You have to be the storyteller of your story. And we're mm. here to help and support and guide you. And if you need help creating that content, we can absolutely help you create it, but you still have to be the face of it, which I yeah. think a lot of people are very hesitant at this point. Yeah, well, I think I think some of it is is because it is constantly changing. And just when you feel you've got on top of it, <laughs> they, they go and move the goalpost. Do you know what I mean? And and so people think people go, I need to outsource this because I simply don't have the time, you know. Yeah. And and the reality is is that someone once said this to me and I, I thought it was a great quote and I've used it several times since, and, and that is do not think of doing your social media as, oh my God, I've got to get on Instagram for half an hour every morning. Uh, because if you think of it like that, it's nothing but a pain in the backside. Instead, how you should think of it as, I've got to spend half an hour doing my marketing every morning. Uh -huh. Because because that's what it is, isn't it? Whether you're Instagram or, or Facebook or whatever your weapon of choice is, it, it is marketing. Um, unless you're just looking at pictures of someone's cat or some other, you know, stuff in there that is so easy to get, you know, drawn into. Right. But you, you, so, you know, one of the things I, I don't think I said it is I know, again, from reading on your website or somewhere, uh, and either you, you have a hairdressing license, you have an esthetician license, but you're also, you, you've studied graphic design. Am I right saying that? Yes, that's correct. Right. Um, once it was after I got my hair license um, and I was working behind the chair. And when I went back to school, I was in my mid twenties when I went back mm. to work more with hair than with skin. Um, I really realized that I didn't want to work behind the chair, but I wanted to work in professional beauty, but I wasn't sure. And I didn't have the tools to figure out how to get into professional beauty in a way that wasn't involved in a salon. I didn't have enough information or education about those particular things. So I just decided I'll go back to school. I'll get another license so I could do hair and I'll try to figure it out from there and hopefully network and make connections. And after I met Aaron and we started doing hair nerds, I was still working in a salon at that time um, because hair nerds was a passion project at that point. Um, I realized very quickly that I needed more education to be able to do this. Um, and that's where my degree in graphic design came in. So I went back to school um, continued to take classes at night, working in the salon during the day, traveling with Aaron, doing hair nerds. Um, I don't think I slept for a couple of years, um, <laughs> but I, I got my degree in graphic design and that yeah. really, really helped open up my eyes, plus a lot of doors to the things we were able to offer and the yeah. content that we were able to create as well. Um, mm today, you, I don't think you have to do that. I don't think people have to go back to school and get a whole degree um, because there are so many tools available now on the internet and webinars mm. and classes and, mm. and things that you can buy to help you create content and, and imagery. Um, but for me, that was the easiest way to do it. Yeah. And, so and, I, and I, I think that uh, was, I was just going to jump in and say, I didn't want you to put that down. 
that you had studied it? Because everybody thinks they're a photographer today. Everyone thinks they're a videographer. <laughs> Everyone exactly. thinks they're a bloody hairdresser because of the internet. Exactly. And there's a difference between taking some pictures on your iPhone and being able to put a filter on them and, and yada, yada, and mm -hmm. being a photographer. There's a difference between my dad doing a haircut and me doing a haircut. Uh, there's a difference between you doing graphic design and uh, Joe, the hairdresser, doing a graphic design thing. So yeah. um, I, I suppose what I was sort of leading to is, is that's why this works for the hair nodes because yes. you've got Erin with her journalism and marketing, uh, you know, perspective, expertise that she brings to it. Um, you, you, you as the hairdresser slash esthetician, Erin's uh, also love of the beauty industry. And then you also having a graphic design degree. So you sort of ticked all these different boxes. Mm -hmm. um, so I can, I can see, you know, why, why that is working, you know, uh, so well for you. Um, and, and we continue to take education to this day because for us, it's, we, we like to encourage everyone always to continue with their education in whether that's hair or something else that they're passionate in. Um, and so for us, it's really important to also continue our education. And I would say almost at least once a month, we're taking a social media class or we're okay. taking a webinar or doing something that's going to help advance our knowledge and understanding of the things that we offer. And so it's just, it's really never ending with the things that we're learning. Um, because we want to be able to provide the most updated and factual information possible. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Okay. Erin, um, I, I want to ask you a really stupid question. So <laughs> uh, It's not a stupid question. It's just, it's just you could answer it in a million different ways, okay? Yeah. Uh, and, and the question is, what's happening to Facebook? Oh, Lord. Um, what isn't happening to Facebook, yeah. really, right? Um, you know... Well, so here would be my question, Anthony, do you, are you referring to the platform that we've kind of always known as Facebook or the company that owns the entire world, Facebook, yeah. now Meta? Okay, I'm, I'm thinking of the platform. And I suppose if I wanted to make it a more pointed question, it, it would be, you know, what's happening to Facebook in terms of you know, I mean, hairdressers love Instagram. They're all over Instagram. Right. They eat, sleep and breathe Instagram. Um, uh, and, you know, when I look at young people now, I mean, my kids, I've got kids that are, you know, 20, my two daughters are 20. <laughs> they're 21 and 23. I had to think for a minute because they've just had birthdays. <laughs> and, and my two sons are 28 and, uh, sorry, they're, they're 30 and 32, right? Um, and... None of them would use Facebook. Right. Like they were just right. like, what, fa what, that's for old people. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So, for your grandma so, and your grandpa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To, to, to see what their grandchildren are doing. And right. that's the very reason why their grandchildren aren't on there. Yeah, aren't so, on it. Uh huh. So, so tell me about Facebook from your perspective as, you know, social media management um, people uh, in the hair and beauty space. How relevant is Facebook? You know, okay. Let me, let me tell you how I think Facebook can be used in in pro beauty and how it can be used well right as as say you own a, a small salon um i do think that it's always really 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 important to have your facebook um business page set up um it's you know not every not every salon comes right out with a website and it's a great way to you can have a scheduling button you have your hours you have you have your ways to get a hold of you. You can post some pictures up. Uh, Facebook is is highly searchable uh, mm. through Google. I mean, they always come up. And so if someone is just looking for your salon on Google, that Facebook page is going to come up. So I think that that's really important. Um, having a decent handle on Facebook um, business suite, which is where you're going to be like entering your credit card. If you ever want to do ads on Instagram, you have to have that. If you ever want to put products yeah. on Instagram, you have to have that. Like you need um, at least a working knowledge of uh, the business suite. Uh, if you, if you want to do things like that. And then I think, I think for me, where um, Facebook really comes into play just as for a hairdresser um, is all of the different groups, Facebook groups. Yeah. And while it's not a marketing solution, 
um, it is this incredible community of hairdressers, either regionally or um, based on, you know, a product company like Redken users or Tenra users or Schwarzkopf, kind of whatever, um, who are able to have this community and these forums. I mean, kind of like from the 90s, these message boards, right? where they're able to talk to one another and, hey, I'm having a trouble with formulation here or this lady came in and she's got a, she's got a three-layer haircut. Like, what would you guys charge to fix this? Um, and I've seen tons of friendships build and, and just people really supporting and connecting with one another. And so for me, um, Facebook is kind of the bane of everybody's existence, right? But... Um, but in a way, it has it has this ability to connect professionals with professionals. I think, mm. and if and if I had to say, you know, like here's one way to use Facebook, or if you want to spend thirty minutes on it a, a week, whatever, um, it would be it would be on a on a personal level to connect with fellow hairdressers. Um, especially here in America, we we have a ton of like suite owners, um, so mm. people are more isolated now. And, and I think it's really nice to have, you know, to have other professionals to, to bounce things off of. Right. So it's a community still, but it's like I an online so. community. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a really good point. Sorry, Annie, I know you wanted to jump in there with something. Yeah, I just kind of to follow up with what Aaron was saying um, and on a different perspective of it, because um, Facebook is really great for those personal interactions, like Aaron was saying, when it comes to um, work having a platform for consumers or for your audience, for your clients. Um, today, Facebook really isn't, I would say, the number one area, mostly because, um, and it's more on a like, kind of like a psychological level, the way mm. that people are consuming content now. Um, mm. And it's interesting that you said, Anthony, earlier, like it's kind of for older people. Um, but if you think of how older people are, very comfortable consuming content it's with written words and Facebook still is a place where written word is still very valued same as Twitter um but it's not for the younger generations especially people that are just coming to age of getting into the beauty industry um their form of content intake is through video and Facebook isn't primarily set up for video content. Um, it is in a sense, but when you think of the way that people are intaking content today, it's very, very fast, which is TikTok videos. The reels are becoming very important, um, but they want to take in information within seconds instead of having to watch things that are five minutes plus long up to an hour. Um, but if if someone who is using platforms dependent on what their goals are, if someone is using YouTube primarily for their source of producing content and getting content out into the world, Facebook is still a really good match for them because of the way that it is set up to share content. And so YouTube style videos are still really amazing to share through Facebook because they're not set up to be shared on something like Instagram or TikTok or even Snapchat. Um, yeah. So there's still absolutely a place for it, depending on what your goals are and the way that you are currently producing your content. Um, and it's also really important to understand who your audience is because um, audiences will also intake content in certain ways. And so if your audience is used to reading content um, or wanting to watch longer formed videos, Facebook is still absolutely a great place for those types of things. Yeah. And also your target market, I'm, I'm assuming that like, you know, if your target market is, you know, uh, women with a discretionary income, uh, 50 years of age and above, you're better off on Facebook than you are on great. Instagram because, because <laughs> that's where they are, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And yeah. I love what you said about the groups thing. I mean, I use Facebook groups for our uh, our online courses and stuff that we have mm -hmm. these, you know, super stylist online groups that are like private community groups and yep. those sort of things are, are essential. And, and I belong to God knows how many professional groups in different right. countries that, that are a community of salon owners talking or, or, or not always salon owners, but often salon owners talking about, you know, issues that they might have with, with, uh, 
uh, with their business or with employees, with you know HR, all that sort of stuff. So, so they're a good forum, which uh, which didn't exist before. Interestingly, I read that um, Mark Zuckerberg has a a group in Facebook who you know, a group of employees who work at Facebook, whose, whose remit is basically, how do we make Facebook cool again? Uh, so he's, he's aware that, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it's It'll in this, right, digi- yep. this digital world we live in, in five years' time, Facebook could be MySpace if they make the wrong decisions. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it can change very quickly, which is interesting, but that is the world that we live in, you know, like nothing will last forever. Um, change, I just want to change the, the the approach here a little bit and come back to what you do for a minute with your website because I I know you have some online courses. Am I am I right saying that that you have these online courses or is that a sort of a, a coming soon thing? Uh, no, we do. We right now um, are primarily uh, online courses for students for schools. We have schools that um, have have bought into the idea of having the hair nerds teach their students how to do social um, and set those like really incredible foundations while they are still um, training for their license. And so we take them through a 26 week course um, through all of the platforms and teach them best practices and how to, how to really manage their online brands. Um, We also have some different courses coming up in 2022 for independent stylists to be able to kind of, work through those same things, um, but self-paced and, and on their own. Okay. Interesting. All right. So, I mean, you know, that's one of the things that COVID has done is it's totally, you know, sped up. I mean, I often use the word, it's, an, I, I, it's not my word. Everyone uses it. It's an, COVID was an accelerator. And mm-hmm. so all these things that were happening anyway, like online education, they were all happening anyway, but it's basically just increase the uptake on these things, you know, into a 12-month window of time where it might have taken five years if we hadn't had COVID, that it's forced everyone to, you know, embrace technology, to embrace teaching online, to embrace um, learning online. And uh, it's not one of those things that's going to go away, even when we do get on the back end of COVID. I think people will realise that actually the online world is a really good world to educate in and uh, and to, to be educated in. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how you expand that side of things. Um, I also noticed on your website that you are really, like you have a very strong social conscience. Um, you talk about charities that you love and support. Um, do, do you want to talk to us a little bit about that? I mean, it's too obvious a question to say, you know, why do you do that? But, you know, just right. talk a little bit about that because I thought that was interesting, especially because it wasn't just one charity. I think there were at least four on there that um, that you you featured. So, uh, yeah, talk to us about that. Absolutely. Um, so for us, it's really, again, creating this inclusive space um, within our industry, but also making sure that, that we're being good humans, right? Um, we got involved with the Thirst Project years and years ago, um, and their ethos is really just bringing clean drinking water uh, to to everyone, right? Um, that there are millions of people still today who don't have access to clean drinking water, um, and they are they're an incredible charity. We worked with them um, when we were working with Eden Sassoon for years, and uh, Seth Maxwell, who who started it, is just incredible. We always encourage people to to check his stuff out. Um, But also somebody that we work with really, really closely now uh, within professional beauty is the Dress Code Project. Annie, do you want to talk about DCP? Yeah, absolutely. Um, They're not currently actually one of the charities listed on our website, um, but it is a charity that we absolutely love and adore and talk about all the time. Um, And they, their mission is to, uh, have the beauty industry understand that hair has no gender. Um, because for the longest time we're taught men's haircuts versus women's haircuts, where today women can get short haircuts, um, and vice versa, men have long hair. Um, so they are working really hard to help educate and promote within the industry, the understanding that, um, we should really, be more inclusive in our language and understanding and create spaces uh, in our salons for everyone to feel welcome and comfortable and 
kind of get rid of the the overcharge overcharging of um, women's hair, even though I know a lot of people will say, well, women don't come in as often or anything like that, but some do. Some have, like I myself have short hair and I prefer to have short hair, which means that my upkeep on my short hair is going to be a lot more than Aaron who has longer hair, um, which means that I will be spending a lot more money in the salon because I'm there more often. So they really put a focus on um, uh, education and training to create inclusive spaces and kind of rid the the gender bias within the industry. Yeah. Well, and teaching it- people about, sorry, just teaching people about <laughs> um, creating gender affirming spaces. That's really how it started. Um, you know, and I think that that's something that that people are still really um, maybe unsure about because they don't have the proper training using people's correct pronouns, um, you know, and and working through uh, working through situations where perhaps a stylist misgenders uh, a client or you know how how to move through that. And so I think that it's 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 very niche education um, that they are providing that uh, I think is you know is is where we in the world just need to um, make sure that, that we're 100% educated and, and doing the right things. Yeah, that was interesting what, what you said there, Annie. That was interesting what you said as well, Erin. Um, I was just making some notes on what Erin said. She, used, she very clearly said the overcharging of women. And I want to say it's the, under, the <laughs> undercharging for men. Uh, I, I totally agree with you. It's been a... It's been a thing with me forever that you you cannot charge unless you are charging un, unless a woman's haircut is a one hour appointment and a man's haircut is a forty five minute appointment. There is no legal justification for why you should charge the man less than the woman. Do you know what I mean? It, it, unless you are unless it's based on a time thing. Unless as a salon owner. You know, if, if if a client said to me, well, why am I being charged more for my hair than what my husband is? Unless you can say, well, the men's haircuts we allocate 30 minutes for, the women's haircuts we allocate 45 for. That's the only legal justification you have for that. But funnily enough, I, I brought this up recently. I had someone on the podcast a couple of um, uh, episodes ago, uh, the ladies from Reed Hair in the UK, and we were talking about charging by time and I asked them about this and uh, uh, as to how they get around that because they they don't have a traditional menu they charge everything by time and they do essentially what I just said that that men's haircuts are you know 45 minutes or whatever women's haircuts are 60 minutes but and even if they both had short hair they said that they could still justify it. And I get this by saying that even if you do two haircuts and one's on a man, one's on a woman, and they're both short, that the man's haircut in terms of the finishing is usually just a quick blast with the blow dryer and a bit of wax and away you go. Whereas the woman's haircut is nearly always a much bigger deal in terms of the finishing process of it. So that's why, even though they're both short haircuts, they would still allow 60 minutes for a woman, 45 minutes for a man. They're different price points. When I push them on it, because I know they'll be listening to this podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, when I pushed them on it, they said, but Anthony, if a woman didn't require a, a bigger finishing job to her hair, and if it did take 45 minutes instead of the full hour allocated, then we wouldn't be charging them any different to the man. You know what I mean? Uh, so, so, so that's interesting. And uh, you, you also mentioned, uh, going back to the other thing you mentioned, where you talked about the Thirst Project. And I saw that gentleman speaking. Um, yeah. uh, Seth Maxwell, I think his name was, you said. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw him speaking, if I'm correct, it was in New Orleans at um, Serious Business Conference a few years ago. And yep. I agree with you. He was a phenomenal speaker. Um, yeah. And what a strong message! So I can totally see why you're, you know, supporting that. Let let me let me change tack a little bit. I, I just want to ask you a question because you have, you know, you, I mean, I know you're you're US based, but you work all over the US. 
And um, it's often interesting when you talk to people that, that do the sort of thing I do or the sort of thing you do, is they have a really good overview of what's happening. So what I want to ask you about is, is how do you see the industry evolving? So a couple of things. Um, I, I think sometimes it's disappointing. Like we, we're a little disappointed in, in maybe where the industry is headed, um, just in that people... Um, it sometimes feels like people are more interested in um, social head pats than they uh-huh. are in really honing their craft. Um, and so, you know, I, I would love to see a, more of a focus on, on education um, in the coming years and, and really in people uh, remembering and knowing who our living legends are. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, hopefully, you know, social, social helps us with that. That's definitely one of the things that we focus on, but, um, you know, I think, uh, I think we are, I think we are headed into a right down the slide, right. Of social. And I don't think that that's going away. Um, I, I think that people are going to be more and more focused on their social presence and, um, follower counts and how many likes they're getting on, on videos. And I think, unfortunately, that is, um, that's just still, I think that that's where our industry is headed. I think that we are living so much of our professional lives um, online. And yeah. I'd love to see yeah. us in person more, hopefully now that we can all travel again. Um, that'll, that'll kind of change. I mean, I think that the last two years have been drastically different. Um, then and it's really kind of spotlighted you know this like craziness of social um over the last two years which i know sounds really odd for someone who who literally works um in social but i I do think that it can be you know it can i think be clear about your intentions um and what you really want from life sometimes because it can get out of hand real quick yeah I, i i try and be an observer of what's happening i try not to get too wound up by it, you know, when I don't like what I see happening, you know, to, to the industry, so to speak. Um, I understand where you're coming from there. I, I think, uh, and I, there's lots of things about social I absolutely love, and there's lots of things about this generation I absolutely love, okay? But uh, I, I also want to say that, you know, that, that social and people now, not this generation, not like saying young people, but like people now, <laughs> they rarely live in this short attention span world. Like they, they're not in it for the long haul is what I'm saying. That like, there's this real feeling that, that hairdressing has become a flighty short term career for solopreneurs until they become famous at something else. Do do you know Uh what I mean? Uh And, and social sort of paints these unrealistic expectations of our industry um I, I you just sort of touched on something then about you know standards from a from I, I thought you were talking about it from a technical perspective um when you talked about the history and, and the, the sort of the icons in the industry and and on that note I know you've got some great articles on your blog um where you you know talk about some amazing hairdressers who are long dead and buried now but the contribution that they make to the industry, to what it is today. I think it's an important thing that people are taught that and that they understand that. And that, you know, uh, there's all these thoughts rushing through my head. You know, what, what, one of them is this post that you sometimes see on social media. Uh, and it's a good post. It, it, it says something like YouTube is not beauty school. And I completely <laughs> agree because and this, this goes back to what we touched on before that, you know, some people watch a video and they think they're, they're, a, they're a hairdresser or yeah. some people think they're a photographer or some people think they're yeah. a graphic designer because they saw something on YouTube for 10 minutes. And it, it, they, they fail to appreciate the depth that, that there is to that subject. Whether you're talking graphic design, photography, cutting hair, coloring hair uh, or anything else, there's a lot of depth to stuff. And I think mm-hmm. social media makes things look simple that aren't necessarily simple that you know yes we live in this instant world of instant gratification etc but you know i think it would um his name will come to me uh you know the the, the quote about ten thousand hours you, you you 
it, it takes time to master anything. And, uh, and, and a lot of people don't understand what mastery is. It takes time. It takes graft. It takes grit. It takes disappointment. It takes discipline. Uh, and even then, a lot of people still can't see the difference. But if you really want to be the, a master of it, you've, you've got to commit to it. And I, th I think that's true with absolutely everything. And, you know, one of the things that I see in the industry is there's, and, you know, there's a lot of talk about, and I talk about this as well. I, I talk about the capacity to be a six-figure hairdresser. And it's a, it's a quote that is used sort of universally, uh, meaning, you know, generating 100,000 a year behind the chair or even earning 100,000 a year behind the chair. And so the point is, is that possible? And the answer is, well, of course it's possible. There are lots of people that do it. But I think social media paints this picture of that it's easy and that you'll come out of beauty school or you'll finish your apprenticeship or you can do a three-day week or whatever it is and you can be making 100 grand a year. And it, it, it's just, it's not, a, it's not a realistic interpretation of what this industry gives you. I mean, I, I know um, in, in the US, the average hairdresser earns under $30,000 a year. Right. I, I did a quick conversion of that to Australian dollars and UK British pounds for uh, uh, our audience so that people can get a, a sort of a rough ballpark of what that means. And 30,000 US dollars a year is 40,000 Australian dollars or 22,000 pounds. And, and that number is about right everywhere. The average hairdresser does not earn a lot of money. And yet I think that sometimes through social media, we, we create this unreal expectation. And so we churn people, you know, the, the churn through, through beauty schools, the churn through apprenticeships mm -hmm. is, is a problem because in your country, in my country, in the UK here, in Australia, whatever, there, there is a, a tragedy in terms of the amount of people that only stay in this industry something like two years. Uh, and then they're out and they're out because their expectations are not met. And I think their expectations are not met because they have unrealistic expectations going into it. And uh, I think that's a problem. But but I, I want to ask you, uh, sorry, I, I took over a bit there. That's sort of one of my soapboxes at the moment. Uh, no, I what, love it. What, are, what are your thoughts about that? What, what would you add to that part of the conversation before we start to wrap up? Um, something that I actually just had a conversation with one of our clients recently about was the, um, the overwhelm of social media and that, that image of everything is so easy and you can learn everything online. And what I was explaining to them was that what we should be using social media for is a hook is a hook to get people to want to learn from you in particular and you're going to bring in the right people that are going to interact with your content. And then we can use it as a way to get them to learn more. Mm -hmm. And the right people who you will hook in with your social media will want to learn more because that person in particular is looking for more information. They're looking to better themselves. They're looking to have more advanced education and more understanding of the things that they're wanting to provide to their clients behind the chair. And I think that it, it really makes so much sense as a whole of our beauty industry. And I think where a lot of the overwhelm of social media is coming from is that people, people do think that they can learn everything online where what we should be using it for is a way to, as a, as a funnel to get to the point of that betterment of education. Um, because there is a lot of misinformation out there. And unfortunately mm. that's just the world we live in at the moment is a lot of misinformation. A lot of people who don't understand things wanting to share um, and, and put content out there that isn't correct. And, and I think if we are to use it more as a hook and more as a way to get our audiences involved in our personal um, what, what we're bringing to the table, you're going to attract the right audience who is going to be looking to further themselves and better themselves. Yeah, great. Very well said. Uh, anything to add to that, Erin? I said it a couple of times. I think that, I think that instead of glorifying this like fake it until you make it attitude where you can just like kind of pop on and, and, you know, be a guru six months out of school, like maybe we need to glorify mm -hmm taking education. Maybe we need to glorify working as an assistant. Maybe we need to glorify putting in hard work um, mm. and, and giving 
giving students the expectation that it takes time. This mm. career takes time and you don't, you don't leave school knowing everything there ever was. Um, you leave school knowing what you need to know to start learning more. Um, and that it just, it's not, you don't, you don't wake up, you know, on, on Tuesday after graduation, uh, yeah. ready to handle it all. Exactly. And the, the frightening thing is, particularly in the US as regard to this, is that there are states that are reducing the amount mm-hmm. of time that you need for your license. Now, tell me if I'm right with this one. I think it's in California. They've just reduced it yeah. from six, 1,600 hours, which isn't, in my opinion, it's not. you're not going to learn Gosh. how to do, nope. to be a professional. They've reduced it to 1,000 hours. So really yeah. all you're doing is you're taking, you know, $20,000 off people to send them out into the world um, with false expectations and yep. a, good, a good understanding of how to sterilise things. Uh, but, and this is not, Obviously, with every school, there are a lot of amazing schools out yeah. there that send people out into the world. But those schools can only do so much in the amount of time that they have people for. And when you start to reduce it down to, to a thousand hours, and I hear some want it to be even less, no. it, it starts to make this industry look worse, not better. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, let's let's not dig into that. I want to. I need to wrap up here. Uh, but I want to finish on a really positive, optimistic note by asking you both, what do you see in the industry that really inspires you going forward? Well, I mean, gosh, so many things. But I think that my very favorite thing that came out of um, quarantine, just because we're still kind of like pushing through it here, um, was the Sassoon Online Education. Mm -hmm. Um, And my favorite part of that education was they have this like, they have this part where they go back through the archives and it's these really old videos um, that they have, you know, of these like masters from, from Sassoon. And like, I definitely find that that's, that's my new happy place. Right. It's like, okay. it's like heritage Sassoon. Um, mm. And I, I just love that. I love that these large companies uh, are getting on board with, uh, with digital education and making it, highly accessible. Um, that's, that's part of my, the reason that, that the Sassoon online education for me, um, is such a bright spot right now is that, is that it's so affordable that a a hairdresser still in school, you know, could pay the $19 a month and have access to the ABCs of cutting and, and all of these like foundational items. Um, and that there, there's not a huge barrier to entry. I don't Mm. need, I don't need $1,500, you know, a week and a place to stay in Santa Monica and Airbnb. Like I, for $19, I can hop on and I can, I can watch Mark Hayes and, and Tracy, um, cut hair. And, and that, that's huge. That's huge. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, Annie, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think, I think one of my favorite things that I'm seeing right now that definitely has been a transition over the last couple of years, but you're seeing so much more of it. And I'm really excited to see where it continues to go is um, more inclusivity happening within professional beauty and not just with people, but with um, terminology and the education that is becoming more readily available. And that would include um, like how we talked about dress code project and, and learning about uh how to create uh, non-gendered hair pricing and, and the conversations that surround that, but also having more access to education about different hair types and different textures and different curl patterns and different types of hair and having it expand from just what we were learning in school or in apprenticeships 10 years ago to what we're able to learn and understand today and have more conversations around hair as hair, um, which is really exciting to see it. At, at least I, I believe so, because I, I believe the more that we can learn about hair and the more that we can talk about hair as hair, I think the more professional and the more we're going to be able to give our clients, um, and, and the more clients are going to be feel comfortable coming into the salon environment. And my hope with that is, um, it will help downgrade some of this YouTube university that seems to happen because a lot of people don't want to go to the salons because they're not feeling welcome. They're not feeling like people can do their hair. And so the more education that's coming out, I think it's, it's going to change a lot of things for 
our, our clients in the future of being able to be more comfortable coming into the salon, knowing that they're going to get the service that they deserve. Great. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to answer that question for myself as well <laughs> and say that what I find inspiring is what you guys are doing. You know, that, that this, this sort of platform that the hair nodes is about and the way you think um, and the way you've positioned your brand and the sort of influence and impact that, you, that, that you're having is, uh, is inspiring. So, it, you know, that's great to see. It's using all the, you know, the melting pot of everything that's going on, but it's, it's positioning it and packaging it and presenting it to the world in a very, you know, professional, modern way. So congratulations with that. Um, where can people connect with you on Instagram or other social media channels? Yeah, I mean, we're the hair nerds um, on pretty much everything. It's thehairnerds.com. And then on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. At TikTok, we're in the hair nerds underscore official, I believe. Um, right. But, but other than that, we're the hair nerds. Okay. Well, I'll put those links on our website, growmysalonbusiness.com, uh, in the show notes for today's podcast. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast with Aaron and Annie from The Hair Nerds and you've enjoyed it, then do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple podcast app. We'd really appreciate that. So uh, to wrap up, Aaron and Annie, thank you so much for being on this episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.